0: We celebrate this great solemnity of the body and blood of Christ. Something is said in today's Gospel from Luke that I think is a linchpin to help us to understand the Eucharist and what it should mean to us by looking both to the past, before Jesus, at Jesus' life, and then after Jesus' life, all the way down to yours and ours' life. So that one phrase in English is deserted place. And in Greek, it's eremos. Eremos. That one phrase, that one word, really opens up or unlocks for us a wealth of information that I think is key to understanding the Eucharist. Certainly, in this particular passage in Luke's Gospel. Here's how. Jesus is about ready to do a miracle. The miracle of the multiplication of the loaves. But Luke takes the time to record something... ...that seems and sounds to be inconsequential. That all this took place in a deserted place. The disciples said, listen, we need to send these guys... ...to farms and villages so they can get provisions. Meaning, they don't have what they need in order to sustain themselves out in this deserted place. So that's where Jesus says to his disciples, then you give them something to eat. And he launches into that familiar account of the multiplication of loaves. Deserted place. And Greek, "eremos." It appears in another place in Luke's Gospel earlier, when Jesus himself is about ready to begin his public ministry... And Luke uses this word to say that and the Holy Spirit drives him out into the desert. And in the desert, he's tempted by the devil, but he's also prepared for his public ministry. And he spends 40 days there in the desert. It's the same word, "ramos." So it has different translations. Lonely place, deserted place, and in this case, in Luke's gospel, the desert. That's what Luke wants us to pay attention to. That's what Jesus wants to pay attention to when he performs this miracle in the desert. Because he wants us to swivel back to the past in another desert place where another miracle happens with bread. So this is the Exodus experience. The Jews have just been freed from slavery to the pharaohs in egypt and now they're out wandering in the desert and they're on a journey to what god has promised them the promised land and of course ultimately that promised land is going to be fulfilled totally in the promise of the promised land of heaven so they're on this journey and guess what they're out there for 40 years now that's important too Because in that 40 years, that's about the lifespan of people that they lived during that time, if they even lived to be 40. So that means that they're spending their whole lives on this journey. Much like you and I today. Journey through this world. Our whole lives. And they're trying to get to this promised land, but God knows that they're not going to be sustained out in the desert. The desert is never going to provide for them what they need in order to be alive. And so they'll never make it to the promised land. Therefore, God performs an intervention. He does something more than the natural. He does something supernatural. He does a miracle. And in this case, he rains down manna, heavenly food, heavenly bread to sustain his people on their journey so they can make it to the promised land for the course of their lives. That's why this is taking place in the desert. So fast forward to today's gospel and Jesus is out there in a deserted place. Luke notes that so that we can call back to this and remember, because Jesus is about ready to perform a second miracle with the bread. Now, not heavenly bread, because John records that Jesus is the bread that comes down from heaven. So what he's going to do now is multiply bread. He says to them, you give them something to eat. Who's he saying that to? The twelve apostles. Out in the Exodus experience, it was the twelve tribes of Israel being led by Moses... And each one of the tribes had a leader who led them through that exodus experience to the promise of man. Now it's the 12 apostles who are the new Israel. The new leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel who represent all nations of all people. That's why there's 5,000 people. Men, which means then there was also women and children. So thousands of people, they are representing humanity there. In the desert. You see, we live in the deserts of this world. The desert is never going to supply us with what we need. The world is never going to get us what we need. Not just here and now, but it never has the power to get us to the promise, to get us into heaven. And we can't do it on our own. We can't sustain ourselves. And Jesus knows this. And so he says to his disciples, you give them something to eat. And they say, well, all we have is five loaves, two fish. Bring them to me. And he blesses them and breaks them and distributes them through his disciples. And Luke records that they're all satisfied. All the people are well fed. And then there's 12 wicker baskets that are left over that are filled up. From those five loaves. What is that again? It represents the twelve tribes. The new twelve tribes. All the nations are going to have what they need. Through the action of God through Jesus Christ. And all this takes place in the desert experience. But this is not just... A looking back and a fulfillment in Jesus' public ministry. It's all getting ready to swivel now to the future. Because on the night of Jesus' death, before he is going to die, at the Last Supper, what does he do? He gathers with his apostles for the Exodus meal. When it all begins. He gathers with his twelve. He takes bread. He blesses it. He breaks it. And he distributes it to his 12 disciples. Why? Because they're about ready to go through the desert. Of Jesus' passion. Of his death. Of his suffering. And so on. And then for years after that, being the leaders of his church, they're going to face much persecution. And he knows this. And he knows that they don't have the stuff to sustain themselves in this world as his followers. And so, he says, take this bread... Now this is my body. Take this wine. This is my blood. God had the power to rain down bread from heaven. He had the power to multiply bread. He has the power to change bread into his body, blood, soul, and divinity. And he does that and he feeds them so that his own apostles can know the promise and the fulfillment that in their own lives they can get to heaven Not on their own, but by the power of God. But, remember, these are the ones who now are the new Israel, the new church. These are the ones who are the leaders, the first priest of his church. And so what does he do? He also says to them, do this in remembrance of me. So what I've done for you, you now go and do for others. And that's what happens. The reason why the Lord leaves himself to us in the Eucharist is because he knows that we all live in a desert. That this world is never going to be able to give us what it is that we need to survive. To survive this world and into the next world. And we don't have the stuff of it. Not one of us can cross the threshold into eternity on our own certainly not into heaven. And so he says to his disciples, do this for the rest of the world. What I've done for you, do for others. So that he, who is the bread come down from heaven, who is multiplied across time and across nations, who in every Catholic church of every part of the world today is on every altar, to be the bread, not the bread any longer, but the body and the blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ who feeds His people in the desert experience over the course of their life so that they can get into the promise of heaven. Now, I was thinking to myself this week as I was praying with these scriptures, thinking like a human, so why is it then that in these three accounts, from the scriptures, the people get to see the miracle happen. Like, we know this is already a miracle, but we just don't get to see it happen. It still has the appearance of bread and wine, but it has become something totally other, someone totally other. But when you look at all these three accounts, the Jews, wandering the desert, get to see the manna rain down, and they eat it. The Jews that are in the desert in Jesus' public ministry, they get to see the multiplication of bread. And even the apostles get to see this. Like on the account at the end of Luke's gospel, where two of the apostles are on the road to Emmaus, and they encounter the resurrected Lord, although they don't know he's resurrected. And at the end of their encounter, he comes and breaks bread for them. And as soon as he blesses it, and breaks it, and gives it to them, he disappears. Because he is present now in the bread that is changed to him. So why is it they get to see the change, and you and I don't? Well, God is always consistent. And it's not just in biblical times, but in every time. So, I just got back a week or so ago, taking a group of our prisoners on a pilgrimage through the holy sites in Italy. And one of the sites we went to was a little town called Lanciano. And Lanciano... There is, in a church there, the presentation of the Eucharist, of a Eucharist that was consecrated in the 8th century. The 8th century. And a miracle within a miracle happened. Yes, every time the bread is consecrated and changed, it's a miracle. But in this case, it also manifests the miracle in a physical and tangible way. A monk who was doubting... His belief in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist is praying the Mass, and during the time of the consecration, part of the host turns into flesh and it begins to bleed, profusely bleed. And the wine and the cup also changes into blood in a physical, tangible, chemical way, changes for 12 centuries, millions upon millions of pilgrims have been going to this little church there to see the miracle within the miracle. And some of us, some of our parishioners, about 60 of us, got to experience it. So God does, in fact, manifest the miracle in physical ways. Not just in spiritual ways. And in fact, I've been studying these Eucharistic miracles over the years and come to find out that in every century since the time of Christ, there have been multiple experiences like I just explained in Lanciano for 2,000 years in different parts of the world all the way up into modern times. God is consistent. And, And in modern times... We have the benefit of science. And so the church has asked the scientific community to look at all of the miracles that it has held on to for centuries, those that can be examined, like a Eucharistic miracle, because it's still present, to examine them in a scientific way to see if what it is that we believed truly is happening and can be tested in a physical, tangible way. Because if it's not then we want it to be debunked. We don't want to follow something that's a farce. But if it is, it confirms what it is that we've already believed. So it's fascinating. In the case of Lanciano, there's been a couple tests, and not by like a local doctor or a local uh, professor of a university. Like heads of national laboratories have been invited in to look at it. For, people who have uh, expertise in forensic pathology or, or experts in the heart. And what they found and produced um, scientific paper on, papers on, is a couple things that is almost consistent when you look at all the miracles and all of them being tested. So, in Lanciano, it's a man. The tissue sample is from a man. And It's from the heart, from the cardiac region. And it is, uh, they found proteins in it. And the proteins that they found are never found in dead people, only in live blood. So they have no uh, explanation for why and how it is that these proteins are there let alone how a piece of human tissue and a, a glo, you know, a, a several globs of blood have not disintegrated. And they check for preservatives, and there's no trace of preservatives for 1,200 years. I know that when I consecrate a, a host and hold it into a for people to adore that if we keep that host in there more than a couple months, then it starts to get pits, little holes in it, because it begins to break down, this thin little piece of bread. Within a year, a couple years, it would be completely gone, and we're talking about 1,200 years. And each one of the miracles have things that are unique to them also. Like I spoke about the protein, but one that happened in 1992 in Buenos Aires, they were testing it, and they saw that there were white blood cells in them, which is impossible because white blood cells within 15 minutes begin to break down and disintegrate once it leaves the body. And the list goes on like this. Why did I tell you this story? For this reason. Finally, humanity in the sciences and medicines have caught up with our beliefs. Finally. That's one part. The other part is this. Do we need science in order to confirm what it is we already believe? And the answer is this. Some do. And some don't. I'm at a point in my life as a priest that I don't need that. I went to Lanciano so that some of us in this community could see with our own eyes. I did it for them, not for me. So some of us need this. And that's good. That's not a bad thing. But here's the thing. Why isn't it that in every altar of every church, this is not happening? My answer is that is one word. Faith. Because God knows that we need faith. And faith in Him. He doesn't need our faith. We need our faith in Him. And not just on a Sunday morning at church, but we need to exercise that faith here in something that is, on a natural level, incredible so that our faith is strong, so that as we're journeying through our lives in the desert of this world that cannot sustain us and give us what we need, Through all the ups and downs of human experiences that strike into us suffering and fear and anxiety and doubt and question and all that. And we're never going to be able to overcome that ourselves. We need faith in the promise that will sustain us walking through this world. And we need that faith to carry us into the light of heaven. Because the greatest gift that God gives us is faith. The second greatest gift he gives us is freedom. We have the freedom to accept this faith or not. But this faith is the most powerful gift that God has given to us to walk through the desert of this world. And God knew that. And so, he prepared us over the generations with the Exodus experience, with the multiplication of loaves, with the Last Supper, and all the way down to you and I and today. To be the bread of heaven. To give us life. To sustain us in the desert of this world. So that we might have fullness of life. in the life of heaven. But the choice is yours. And the faith is yours to actualize and exercise or not. Choose wisely.